been key decisions made by religious people. Faith means making a virtue out of not thinking. It's nothing to brag about. And those who preach faith and enable and elevate it are our intellectual slaveholders, keeping mankind in a bondage to fantasy and nonsense that has spawned and justified so much lunacy and destruction. Religion is dangerous because it allows human beings who don't have all the answers to think that they do. Most people would think it's wonderful when someone says, I'm willing, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Except that since there are no gods actually talking to us, that void is filled in by people with their own corruptions and limitations and agendas. And anyone who tells you they know, they just know what happens when you die, I promise you, you don't. How can I be so sure? Because I don't know, and you do not possess mental powers that I do not. Religion must die for mankind to live. <laughs> Religion must die for mankind to live. That's why we place the coffin up here on the stage. It symbolizes the death of religion. Bill Maher said, anyone that tells you they know what happens when you die, well, they don't. How does he know that? And how does he know that you don't have mental powers that he does not possess? And how does he know that the only things that we can know are things we must know through our mental powers, our knowledge of good and evil? I mean, Bill Mayer, to, to me, seems to have an, an awful lot of faith. Faith in his mental powers his own knowledge of good and evil and, and what will happen if we don't take his advice. What I'm saying is that to me, Bill Maher seems very religious. And yet he certainly has a point about religion. Religion has spawned and justified so much lunacy and destruction. So maybe, maybe religion must die for mankind to survive. It was 1992 when Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Uh, came out. Uh, 1992 when they won Best Song of the Year and were nominated for a bunch of Grammys. That was also the year that I became a senior pastor. I remember I kinda resented that song. Since that time, according to recent surveys, the number of people in America who claim no religious affiliation has doubled. So maybe we are losing our religion. And this is Easter Sunday. Traditionally, that means that this is the one day of the year when people who are losing their religion or who have lost their religion come to church. Maybe that's you. So, um, what is religion? Well, well it, it seems to me religion is the way that we make sense of our world. It's the way that we give meaning to our lives. It's how we gain knowledge of good and evil so we can choose the, the good, reject the evil, and so make ourselves good and our world good. Uh, religion is a system of belief through which we gain control and protect ourselves. I think that's religion. So why do we lose it? Well, I suppose for all sorts of reasons. Uh, number one, um, perhaps 
we conclude that it just doesn't work, and so it's not true. Or number two, um, uh, it says that it's good, but maybe it just doesn't seem good, but perhaps evil. Well, for six months here at the sanctuary, we've been preaching through Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter written by St. Paul who, you know, wrote like um, half the books in the, in the New Testament. And, and at one time, St. Paul was perhaps more religious than any man that ever lived or, or will live. Philippians 3, he writes this, that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, blameless. And so if you believe the Bible is true, I mean, that's a pretty big time statement. As to the law, blameless. Well, anyway, as Easter was approaching, I'm wondering, geez, what should we talk about? Um, I started to think about uh, St. Paul, and I thought, well, what was Easter like for St. Paul, and then I soon realized, you know, Paul claims to have experienced Easter because Easter happened to him like it happened to the rest of the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15 that, that Andrew read earlier, Paul records all of Jesus' appearances, Easter appearances, and then he writes, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And, and here's what I find so fascinating. Easter did not make Paul more religious, but less religious. And Paul, or or as he was known at the time, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus had been very religious. Saul's religion was, was law. That is, taking knowledge of good and evil. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and, and contrary to popular opinion, I think if the Pharisees were around now, they, they would seem rather familiar and, and not at all that strange. You see, their goal was to make the law clear and practical and applicable. They were the guys that would say stuff like this at church, Pastor, just tell me what I need to do so I can go do it. See, Saul believed that he could freely choose the good and reject the evil and make himself good. And so his judgment was salvation. And his judgment was also sanctification. With his free will, his choice, his judgment, Saul believed he could make himself in the image of God, make Israel. Uh, his church in the image of God. He could build Jerusalem and keep it safe from heretics, like these followers of Jesus that were roaming around. Even as a young man, he was just notorious for his zeal in defending his religion. And in fact, he was there, according to the book of Acts, he was there for the very first martyrdom of the first martyr when Stephen was stoned to death by a religious mob Bystanders said that as Stephen was dying, as he was speaking, his face began to like glow like that of an angel. But it appears that Paul purposely ignored the light and grew even more violent. Saul, or Saul as they call him then, Saul, Saul believed that there, w- there would be a judgment. But he also believed that he knew the judgment, and so he could, he could help with the judging. And Saul firmly believed in, in the Messiah. Did you know that? Saul of Tarsus firmly believed in the Messiah, hoped for the Messiah. In fact, he knew all about the Messiah. Actually, it was his knowledge, his, his knowledge of the Messiah with which he judged Jesus. 
and rejected Jesus and sought to murder all of his followers. You see, Saul's problem with Jesus was that he hung on a cross, a tree. And the law says, curse is the one who hangs on a tree. And Saul's problem with Jesus was that Jesus just didn't look more like Saul. Saul's problem with Jesus is that Jesus did not look more like this. Get ready for the ultimate historical revenge fantasy. Turn it up. He's back. He was uncrossed. He's risen from the dead. Get him! And he's preaching anything but forgiveness. He may be wearing sandals, but he can still kick ass. Jesus hates Christ! The age is silent. Jesus uncrossed. Well, that was Saturday Night Live just a few weeks ago. The next morning, I remember watching TV, and news anchors were talking about how uh, upsetting that clip was. I mean, the CNN news anchor was terribly offended because she thought that they were mocking Jesus, and only like a few weeks before Easter. Ah! But I don't think they were mocking Jesus. I don't think that film mocked Jesus. What did it mock? It mocked our image of Jesus. It makes fun of the Jesus we Christians seem to hope will come again the second time around. The Messiah that comes back, you know, uncrossed and full of vengeance. In fact, the very same Messiah that the Jews had hoped for the very first time around. The very Messiah that Jesus refused to be. The very Messiah in which Saul of Tarsus was putting his hope as he walked down the road to Damascus 2,000 years ago looking for heretical followers of this Jesus of Nazareth so he could drag them off to judgment and death. You see, Saul was deeply religious. And the religion, well, it seems kind of familiar doesn't it? Acts 9, verse 1, this is Easter according uh, to St. Paul or Luke's description of Paul's experience of Easter. Paul, that is Rabbi Saul. Verse, chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus in Syria, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice speaking to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. In another place, 
Uh, Paul recounts that the light was brighter than the light of the, of the sun. And, and Luke says his eyes were opened, but he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Three days, like Jesus, the Son of Man, according to Matthew, according to what Jesus said, that the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth. Easter, for Paul, his eyes were opened and he saw nothing. I saw the light, I saw the light, and everything is darkness, everything is night. Now I'm so confused, don't know what's right. <laughs> what the heck? I saw the light. Easter. Paul was cornered. Saul was cornered. Exposed. Undone. By Jesus the light on Easter. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spot, light, losing my religion, trying to keep up with you, and I don't know if I can do it. Oh no, I've said too much. I haven't said enough. I thought that I heard you laughing. I thought that I heard you sing. Well, on Easter, Rabbi Saul lost his religion. Before Easter, you know, he, he knew everything. He saw everything. He, he, he knew everything, and now he knew nothing. He knew nothing. He saw nothing. He knew nothing but a voice in the darkness calling his name. Before Easter, Saul knew everything about God, and on Easter, Saul began to know God. On Easter, Saul lost his religion, but not just his religion. I think he lost all religion. Easter is the death of religion, and we all have religion. Every whisper of every waking hour, I'm choosing my confessions, trying to keep an eye on you. See, we choose religion like we breathe. We all take knowledge of good and evil in, in order uh, to choose the good, uh, judge the good, make ourselves good, make our world good, or at least what we consider to be good. You see, I think Bill Maher is profoundly religious, and he has an incredibly deep faith in his own reason, but he didn't reason his way to his own reason. That's faith. He has deep faith in the scientific method. But this is the problem, and philosophers, scientists know this. You cannot prove the scientific method with the scientific method. It takes faith. See, I'm saying most folks don't actually lose religion. They just switch religions. 
In fact, the 20th century was a massive experiment in some, some relatively new religions like, like atheism, and 60 million were slaughtered by it in the former Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin. Millions in China, Cambodia, Cuba, atheism, social Darwinism, six, six million in Nazi journey, Germany declared least fit to survive and so exterminated. I'm just saying we all seem to have religion and it all seems to be rather destructive. Now Judaism, which is the foundation of Christianity, the old covenant, uh, the law, that, that religion did not commit the same atrocities as the Soviet Union or Nazi Germany and, 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 and yet it, it did crucify the Messiah. That is, it crucified God in the flesh, on a tree. You know, it was religious people, Christ's own people. People just like Rabbi Saul uh, that pressured the Romans into nailing Jesus to the tree, the tree of the law, of, of, of the knowledge, uh, the tree of law, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. Listen closely. Religion crucified the good on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's where we took his life. Religion. You see, Bill Mayer, I, I don't think, even begins to understand the, the profound depths of his own argument. In fact, according to Scripture, religion, at least religion as I'm defining it, religion doesn't save us. It damns us. Do you remember what the snake said um, in the garden? Remember what he said to that first Adam and what he said to Eve? He said, take the fruit from that tree of knowledge. <laughs> uh, take knowledge from the law. Uh, take knowledge and uh, make yourself into the image of God. Take the law, judge yourself, save yourself, sanctify yourself. You can be your own Messiah. See, the snake didn't tempt them with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The snake tempted them with religion. Now, the knowledge of good and evil is not bad. The law is not bad. The law describes the good. God's law describes love. But it's not love. God is love. God's law uh, describes the good, and, and God is good, but, but thinking that I can take the good and make myself good is the very definition of bad, the definition of evil. Maybe all religion, all human religion, is all the same religion. It's the religion of me in control. Man in control, Adam in control. Saul's religion was himself. And so Bill Maher suggests one way for man to seize control and save himself. 
Uh, Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler suggested uh, other ways for men to seize control and save themselves. Uh, the rabbis, the Pharisees, uh, the pastors, still uh, other ways. And granted, we may have God's law, but we still take it to gain control of God. And I don't think that makes it better, but worse, because now we're manipulating God. Now we're using God. We're not just using people, not just persecuting people. We're persecuting God. We're crucifying God. But you've got to have a little sympathy for Rabbi Saul, for Pharisees, for senior pastors, guys like me in charge of religious organizations. Because how are we supposed to motivate people? How are we supposed to control people? How are we supposed to get people to do what's right? See, if I could just clarify some laws, make them really clear, set up some, some boundaries, some walls. If I could fabricate a, a box and, you know, appeal to people's ego uh, with threats of punishment and some promises of reward, we see, then I can make folks get in my box. You see, with religion, I can create order out of chaos, chaos, order out of chaos. With my religion, I can make sense of my world, seize control of all the people in my world and, and force everything in my world to fit uh, right here, to fit in, in my, my box uh, and stay safe and secure in my box. I can get everything right here in my box. Religion is me in total control. That's religion. Tybert, what, what are you doing? I don't, I don't know. I just, Holy Week gets me so stressed out, and I tend to eat when I get stressed. And <laughs> so I went back there to grab a bite, and then I saw this, and I was like, power nap sounds good. And <laughs> shoot. Tybert, um, I'm, I'm preaching the Easter sermon here. Did you know that? This is Easter Sunday morning. This is our this is our biggest Sunday of the year, Tybert. So would you come on? Would you just get your act together and start acting like a Robin? Would you come and where's Robin? Would you come get him and you go sit by your wife and Sorry. start acting like a pastor on Easter? Jeez, I'm sorry. Okay, that was, that was slightly staged. <laughs> we actually knew why the coffin was so dang heavy. Um, but I want you to get my, get my point. With, with my religion, I try to get my whole world to fit in my box and to stay in, in my box. But the only things that will stay in my box under my complete control, the only things I can fit in my box are, are dead things, not live things, not real people. You see, with religion, I construct a coffin for the people in my world. With religion, I construct a coffin for God 
and for me. With religion, the people of God, using the very law of God, attempted to crucify God in order to get him in their box. We nailed the good to the tree of the knowledge of good in order to make Jesus, who is the revelation of the good, fit in our box. With religion, we put God in a box called the tomb. Well, on Easter, he rose from the dead and broke the box and destroyed the religion that is me, my old me, that prideful, arrogant, insecure, controlling, self-righteous, self-centered, judgmentally, constantly anxious old me that makes me miserable, that old man, me. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight, losing my religion. Back to our story, Acts chapter nine, verse nine. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank, three days. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, it means whom God has graciously given. The Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, at the house of, of Judas. You see, I don't think it's an accident, accident that, that, that Jesus said to Ananias, you will find Saul in the place of, of Judas. You know, Judas was insanely religious, wasn't he? Judas actually means Judah or, or Jew, and Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and Judas seized control of, of Jesus, and then Judas hung himself on a tree before he could see that Jesus was hung on a tree in his place. We don't know exactly what happened to Judas after that. But we do know that Jesus loved Judas, and Judas was one of the 12, and it appears that Saul was God's choice to replace Judas. Karl Barth spends like 50 pages of his church dogmatics um, defending that um, amazing and wonderful idea. You see, Saul is a Judas that lost his religion on Easter. At the house of, of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, one of the guys he was gonna drag off and put to death. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might again regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, he has, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. His name is Jesus. It literally means God is salvation. And Paul's religion had been, I am salvation. It was the religion of me. 
You see, you cannot see Jesus as he truly is and hang on to your religion, the religion of me. And that's why losing your religion can hurt, can really hurt. Jesus said he must suffer for the sake of my name. Suffering, you see, is the loss of control. And religion is control. And here's the wildest thing of all. St. Paul will actually write one day that he longs to suffer just to be with Jesus. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, he sent me so that you may regain your sight and being filled with the Holy and gain your sight and, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like, like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose. After three days, he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And he preached the gospel. And he raised the dead. And he was repeatedly beaten, imprisoned, and flogged. And and he wrote the Bible, and he changed the world. But on Easter, he lost his religion. Paul lost Saul. He lost himself. And and it's incredible to, to think about it. I mean, just think about this. Before Easter, he thought he'd done nothing but good. After Easter, he knew that he had done nothing but evil. He had been blameless under the law, and now he saw that he was, in his own words, which are in the Bible, the foremost, the absolutely worst of sinners. That means that he, meant that he had been the most religious person in all the world and the greatest sinner in all the world at the very same time. And check this out, the law had not changed And yet the meaning of the law was entirely different. Jesus is the meaning. Before he knew about the good, now he is known by the good. Before he knew descriptions of love, now he is known by love. Before he took knowledge of good and evil, now he receives grace. And check this out. It wasn't his choice. He didn't choose, he was chosen. It wasn't his free will. It was God's free will. It wasn't his judgment. It was God's judgment. And think about this. He was chosen at his worst. The absolute worst. A a son of perdition, a Judas. Actually, worse than Judas. God literally chose the worst and and, and most notorious, he chose the world's most notorious sinner and he turned him into history's greatest saint. And I don't know about you, but that kind of messes up my ability to judge sinners and saints, (laughs) or really kind of anybody. And for years, I've thought this, because of this story, I've thought, God, God, why couldn't you do that thing? that you did to old Rabbi Saul. Why, why couldn't you do it for everybody? And I feel like he's been whispering to my heart for years. Peter, how do you know that I don't? 
And now this is really wild, but Paul seems to say that just as Jesus appeared to him, Jesus will appear to all. Listen closely to this, 2 Timothy 4.2. He will judge the living and the dead by his appearing. <laughs> like he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. Like he appeared to John at the beginning. Of the, remember, he shows up just blazing light and John drops as if he was dead in his presence. And Jesus bends down and says, John, it's me. He'll appear like that, like he appeared to the Apostle Paul on, on the road uh, to Damascus. 2 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul writes that Jesus will bring the son of perdition, the Antichrist, to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And do you see that Paul had been a Judas? Literally an Antichrist. And, 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 and Jesus brought him to nothing. How? By the appearance of his coming. Paul wrote, it is no longer I who live. How did that happen? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul was judged on the road to Damascus. And Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. Paul was saved from himself, his sin, his religion. He was saved from his old man and found his new man. He lost his old life and found his new life. He lost his religion and found Jesus. And it doesn't just happen on the road to Damascus. And you see, it doesn't just happen at the end of time. In fact, it's happening like all the time. Later in Acts, Paul says this, that when Jesus appeared to him, after he said, Saul, Saul, you're persecuting me, he said this, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads. You know what goads are? They use them to chase oxen and, and, and sheep, or not sheep, goats. And Jesus had been goading Saul. He must have been looking at Saul through the eyes of those that Saul drug off to prison. It was his glory, I bet, that shone in the face of Stephen as he was being stoned to death. You know, Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the presence of love. Jesus is the light of the world. I mean, Jesus had been goading Paul all along. Listen to this, what Jesus says at the judgment, Matthew 25. Whatever you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do to me. I bet Saul saw the light of Christ shining in the face of those that he drug off to prison and to death, his light in their eyes. And I bet he felt the love of God burning within his chest, but he fought the love. And he ran from the light. John three nineteen. This is the judgment, the light. This is the judgment, the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. Don't run from God's judgment. <laughs> you see, I think that's a lie from hell that we must fear God's judgment. Don't run from God's judgment or you'll end up hiding yourself in hell. God's judgment is salvation. And God's salvation is judgment. Judgment and salvation are both Jesus and he's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, he does not change. So you see, this was God's judgment on Paul, and this is God's judgment on us. We will each be cornered, each be trapped in the spotlight of Christ's glorious appearing, his glorious presence, and we will see that we have not chosen the good, but in fact, we have crucified the good, we've taken his life, and yet he gave his life, and that's the good that he longs for us to see. We haven't chosen the good. The good chose us. That's called grace. 
And so we will each stand in, in the light of his furious love and realize that there's not one thing that any one of us can do to make him love us more. And there's not one thing that any of us can do to make him love us less. He is love. You know, when my, I'm a pastor, I preach this stuff, but you know, when my life is out of control, when my life is out of control, this is what I do. I wake up usually about three in the morning and I try to find things to feel guilty about. I mean, I, I think God is like kind of revealing that to me. I try to find things to feel guilty about and, and I have plenty, I'm sure, that I could feel guilty about, but what am I most guilty of? I think is trying to find things to feel guilty about. And why do I do that? Well, so I can fix those things. So I can manipulate those things and thereby manipulate God and gain control of my life, which is stressing me out. And so God must destroy my religion. I mean, I just have to wrestle with them till I lie there at four in the morning and believe I'm forgiven. You see, ultimately, we must each surrender to this brilliant fact that each of us are the naked object of God's absolute and furious affection. We'll each have to sacrifice our pride, lose all control, and surrender to grace. We will each have to lose our religion and surrender to Jesus. He is God's judgment. And so Paul lost his religion. And now this is wild to think about, but I think he, he kind of became like Jesus' religion. <laughs> think about it, because religion is what we do, right? And we are what Jesus does. Literally, we become his body. We become his body and nothing is wasted. It's like Paul was deconstructed on the road to Damascus and then reconstructed using all the same pieces. Like the old Jerusalem that we build, it gets destroyed and a new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. It's like we each must be emptied of ourselves and filled with something else. Religion is fallen man's imitation of Jesus, but you see, faith is the actual presence of Jesus in fallen man, women, children. Jesus isn't interested in making you religious. Jesus is interested in making you himself. His body, his temple, his bride. That's what a groom wants from a bride. Surrender control. See, young Rabbi Saul was a religious zealot. Old St. Paul was a lovesick fool. He had lost his religion and gain Jesus. Philippians 3, 5 through 9. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as, as crap in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. More accurate translation, the faith of Christ. Saul's religion was himself. St. Paul's faith was Jesus. And Jesus was St. Paul's faith. Well, to sum it up, we're all born into this messed up world. And so we each take knowledge of good and evil in order to save ourselves and maintain control. So we each construct a religion called me, myself, my flesh, my, my ego. Uh, we construct an, an ego, a box. And, and in order to fit everything in that box, people must die. And, and God must die. And, and I, I also end up dying. Alone, in the darkness, I thought, I thought this would be heaven. But it turns out to be hell. You know, maybe, maybe it's not um, such a bad thing to lose your religion. And you know what most of us call Christianity, well, it just might be a, a religion. Maybe it doesn't seem good because it's not good. Maybe Christianity doesn't work for me because Jesus Christ is working against me. I mean, that's how crosses work, right? Working against that self-centered, self-righteous, always anxious, dark and miserable old me. Maybe I can't make sense of Jesus because Jesus is making sense of me. Maybe I've gone blind. So I'll hear a, a voice in, in the darkness calling my name. Maybe Jesus is destroying this old man that I have created in order to liberate a new man that God has created. Maybe Jesus is destroying my box. Feels like I'm being assaulted by hell, but it's the kingdom of heaven. Assaulting my box from the outside, even as Jesus invades 
from the inside. You know, the gospel is that God loved us when we were dead, imprisoned in ourselves, unable to choose the good, unable to love. On the cross, he gave up his spirit, descended into the heart of the earth, where he enters your tomb, my tomb, and rises from the dead. Faith, hope, and love in you are Jesus rising in you as you lose your, your religion. This old self, this, this box in, in which we've imprisoned ourselves. You see, he, he, he communed with us in death that we might rise with him in life. And so on that night that he was betrayed by all of us, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take this, eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so we're gonna invite you to come forward and tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, the dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice, and then take the body of Christ, the broken body of Christ, and put it in your tomb. Let's pray. If you would, just make these words your words. Lord God, I confess my religion, the religion of me, me in control. I, I, I confess my sin. And now I receive your grace, which is the good, which is the life, which is the light. Thank you for rising from the dead in me, in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you not only descended into a tomb 2,000 years ago, but at the boundary of eternity and time, you descended into my tomb, into our tombs, into our lives. And like you say from the throne at the end of Revelation, I'm making all things new. So this morning, Lord Jesus, we say, 
thank you. Amen. And so he's risen. And he's rising. He is rising indeed. <laughs> and you see, he is rising within you. He's rising all around you. And he's rising within you. Now, this is what I learned from the Apostle Paul. You can run uh, from him. You can run uh, from the light, but not forever, because you see, Easter cannot be stopped. Easter is the judgment of God, and the judgment of God is deeper than any other judgment. The covenant of God, an eternal covenant, is deeper than any other covenant. Easter cannot be stopped. Religion is the story that the fallen children of Adam are telling. Easter is the story that God has already told. Believe his story. And come to church. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't do religious things, okay? I mean, you don't have to. There's no requirement to. So, so if you think I'm saying that, that all religious activity is bad, I'm not. I'm saying that all re religious ac activity is, is actually evil if <laughs> it's not infused with God. In other words, if it's not infused with love. It was St. Paul that wrote this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. Love never fails. That's Easter. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.